The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Turn to John chapter 15 with me, please. John chapter 15. I'll begin reading at verse number 1. If you will, just read along silently with me. John chapter 15, beginning at verse number 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. Uh, So shall ye be my disciples. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time we have today, and I pray you'd, uh, you'd use this time to instruct us and, and bless each of us. Uh, just, just help us today to learn, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the, the crowd that Jesus was speaking to here would have very clearly understood what he was saying. Um, now, for you and I, and there may be some here in this area who, who are familiar also with the, the process of a vineyard. I don't know. I myself am totally ignorant of what goes on in a vineyard and how to maintain a vineyard. I know, I know nothing about that. Some people have green thumbs. I have a black thumb. Uh, if I touch a plant, it dies. No doubt about it. It's life expectancy. The clock begins to tick. Uh, I went one day, I went to, the, to one of the local uh, stores, and I told the man, I want a, my wife wants a plant in the house. I want something that I don't have to water, that doesn't need sunlight, and that will survive. And he sold me this little thing in this little bush, and it was, it was pretty. And I brought it home, and I set it in the house, and about three weeks later, it died. Now, the problem was I touched it. If I hadn't touched it, it probably would have lived, but I touched it, so it died. Uh, so I'm not good at growing things. But these people that the Lord spoke to, they were. They were, they were men who worked in a vineyard, and they understood what he's talking about. And what he's talking about here is you have to keep the branches um, healthy if you expect to have fruit in your vineyard. And this is, a, this is actually a process uh, that's done every year after the harvest. They go through and they, they look for the dead branches and they clip them off and they throw them away and they get them out of there. And uh, if, the, uh, if the hel- all the healthy branches that are left, they prune them back and, and, and cause them to do whatever it is that causes them to continue to grow and produce more fruit. And that's what the Lord <coughs> is talking about here. And he's, he's trying to address the, the, the matter of discipleship. And what he's saying is, if you and I are going to be, going to be good disciples, we have to, we have to 
we have to submit ourselves to the pruning of God. God will, God is the husbandman, and He will come into our life, and He will, He will clip away the, the dead branches, He will prune back the good branches, and He will help and cause us to be more fruitful. Now, some groups would say that that term fruitful there is talking about soul winning production. If you're not, if you're not a productive soul winner, then you're not a fruitful Christian. But that's not what that verse is talking about. That verse is not talking, when it uses the term fruitful or producing fruit, it's not talking about winning souls to Christ, although that is a good thing to do, but it's talking about the fruit bearing in our own life. What is your life like? You see, I've known a lot of people, now listen to me, I've known a lot of people in the hyper-fundamental circles who put all their emphasis into soul winning and absolutely no emphasis into their personal walk with God. Uh, I, I've, known, I've known young men over the years who took on a bus route, and boy, they were zealous for that bus route, and they, they were gung-ho about that bus route, and they put everything they had into that bus route, and they lost their own family at home because they neglected their personal walk with Christ. They neglected their personal life. I used to work with bus captains here when I ran the bus ministry, and I used to tell them, go home on Saturday afternoon, spend some time with your family, play with your kids. Spend time with your wife. Nurture your relationship at home. Because, you know, God wants us to serve. Do you hear me? God wants us to serve. But where's your first ministry? If you're a married man here and you have a family, where's your first ministry? Your family. Your home. That's your first ministry. Don't, don't come here and, and throw your whole life into, into the church and, and, and give everything you got to the church and neglect your family. Take care of your family. That's, that's the, that's the, the, listen, that's the group God has given you. Who's responsible? Can I tell you, can I ask you, who's responsible for your children's spiritual education? Who is it? The father. The daddy. Now, I've known a lot of daddies, and, and I'm wasting, I'm not wasting time, but I haven't gotten into my lesson yet. But I know a lot of daddies who bring their kids to church and set them here and say, okay, pastor, fix my kids. No, 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 no. That's not the pastor's job. You understand that? That's your job. You're the one that needs to teach them. Anything they get here is gravy. But at home, you're to teach them. So how do you do that? Well, in this modern society, you know what you do? You turn the TV set off, you turn your phone off, put it aside, and sit there, open your Bible, and share time with your children. So this is the thing we're talking about here. We're talking about discipleship. And we have to submit ourselves to the Father uh, so that he can be the husbandman in our life and prune our lives and cause us to be fruit bearers. And, and by fruit, we're talking about our personal, devotional, spiritual life. Okay? So last time we met, we talked about, uh, we defined discipleship, and we said that the first element of discipleship is commitment, which is putting God first. And God is in the center of our lives. We don't, we don't conduct our lives and try to fit God in there. See, that's not the way to do it. A disciple, now you can do that. You can be a believer and you can do that. But don't call yourself a disciple. Because a disciple is one, remember, is one that, that accepts and agrees and furthers the, the teachings of, of, the, of the master, of the father. So, uh, commitment, putting God first. But today... Let's go on with number two. And today I want to talk about conformity. Conformity to Jesus' teachings. 
Second element of discipleship is the element of conformity. In John chapter 8, we read, and he spake these words, uh, as he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Jesus said, If ye continue in my words, ye are my disciples. Now, remember, we define the disciple as one who accepts the doctrine of another and assists in the furtherance of that doctrine. Uh, but I do want to state today that it is possible for one to accept something without conforming to it. Did you hear what I said? It is possible for someone to accept something but not conform to it. Let me give you an illustration. Speed limits. How many of you accept speed limits? Raise your hand. Sure, we, we, we understand and we accept that there are speed limits. But do you always conform to those speed limits? Well, I can tell you this. I, with my new job, I commute to San Rafael every day, and I can tell you that 99.99% of the people on the highway do not conform to the speed limit. So we, you understand, you can accept something but not conform to it. And this is why we have lawbreakers, because they, they know what the law is, and they even accept that it's the law, but they're not going to live by it. They're not going to conform to it. It is accepted, but is there conformity? Now, I find it important to notice here uh, that we are expected to conform to God's principles. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, we read, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, what is meant by this phrase, to be conformed to the image of his Son? Uh, it would not be expedient here to just explain this away by offering a generalized statement that many, many doctrinal uh, groups around this country do, that we will one day, at the rapture of the church, we will then be conformed to the image of the Son of God. That's, that's how they explain this away. Because they reject the doctrine of perseverance. So they say, yes, 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 we were, we were, we were, uh, uh, we were uh, predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son of God, but that's not going to happen until we, see, we, we get to heaven with Christ. Well, I agree that I will not completely be in the image of the Son until I arrive at his glory. However, that does not mean that I have not been empowered and enabled now, here and now, by God to conform to the image of his Son. Do you understand that the Bible said that uh, if any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creature, and that word creature means creation. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things become new. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means that at the moment you and I were saved, uh, a new creation was made. And within this old flesh dwells a new person. 
And that new person has the empowerment and the enabling by God to live a righteous life. If I, if I do not succumb to the, to the flesh, I can live in righteousness. Not me, but Christ in me. And God has enabled and empowered us to do this. So we understand that we, we are not going to be conformed. We are now conformed. We are, we are now given the enablement and the power to live godly lives. Uh, and this teaching is, is, is not consistent with the doctrine of those who state that perseverance is not a necessity for the believer. See, some people, some, some groups out there teach that you don't have to conform in order to be saved. That uh, you, you, you have no, there is no onus upon you. I've heard soul winners go out and say, God doesn't expect you, and I've heard them say this, God doesn't expect you to change your life. He doesn't expect you to have to, to succeed. All you have to do is be willing to try. Take a, smell, take a sniff when you hear something like that, because you're going to smell smoke nearby. That's the doctrine of the devil. If that were true, there would be no need for the Holy Spirit to come. After all, we would not need to understand spiritual things, nor would we need to be convicted for our sin. Since there would be no expectation of perseverance or conformity, we could just choose to live godly or choose not to live godly. We could just live like we choose because in that final day, the Lord would change us and we would conform to the image of his son. And this is the doctrine of a rebellious and wicked generation who seek to please their own flesh before the Lord. So is, is this correct? Is that what Paul meant when he said that we were predestined to conform to the image of the Son? Well, allow me to offer you uh, the true interpretation of this verse. It is obvious, given the language of this verse, Paul is referring to God's elect children. And we know from the scriptures, the elect are chosen to be holy. In Ephesians chapter 1, we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So we as God's elect children have been, have been called to be holy. Now why would God call us to be what we cannot be? I don't think God would do that, do you? God would not... God would not command us to, to, to be holy if he doesn't enable us to be holy. And we have been empowered and enabled to be holy. But not only are we chosen to be holy, uh, we are called to be holy. First Peter chapter 1, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. So we can rightly determine this morning that in order for us to be conformed to the image of Christ, we must live a life of holiness. Not perfection. 
For this is impossible for sinful flesh, rather holiness, which is attainable for you and I through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit dwells within us, and he enables us and empowers us to live holy lives. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we read, And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So we are, we are set apart, we are sanctified, we are empowered, we are enabled. You see, before I was saved, I could not help but sin. I could not resist sin. I was a slave to sin. But upon salvation, I was set free. And now within me dwells the Holy Spirit of God. And he empowers me. And he enables me to say no. That's it. Just say no. When you're tempted, you know, the Bible says that God never allows us to be tempted beyond that which we are able, right? Everybody remember that? And some people misinterpret that to say, well... God will never test me beyond what I'm able to endure. No, that's, that's totally wrong. He's, he's, it, that verse goes on to say he's provided a way to escape. What's the escape route? Anybody know? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the, he's the door. And when we're tempted and when we, when we feel like we're going to give in, we, we turn to God and we pray, Dear Father, enable me to overcome this. And the Holy Spirit will empower you and you will be able to say no and avoid sin. But remember this, if you do sin, it's because you chose to, not because you have to. If you're a child of God today, you do not have to sin. You have been given the ability to overcome evil, to overcome temptation. How do I know that? Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. The devil, the devil can't defeat me. God is greater than the devil and God is in me. The only way the devil can defeat me is if I surrender to him. But if I resist, what did the Bible say? Resist the devil and what? He will from you. You see, too many Christians are walking around and don't understand and realize that they have this power within them. And it's not because of them, but it's because of Christ. They have within them the power to resist temptation, the power to overcome evil. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Yes, we are admonished to conform to Christ and his teachings, and this is done by means of a transformation of our minds, a transformation of the way we think, a transformation of the way we understand. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How many of you are computer savvy? Raise your hand. How many of you are computer savvy? Okay, so you'll understand this. The rest of you won't, maybe, I don't know. But when a computer gets all fouled up, when it gets all full of all kind of junk and, and, uh, 
and, and you just can't, it just won't work right anymore. What do you do? You throw it away and get a new one, right? No. No. What do you do? Somebody tell me. You reformat. You do that dangerous task of going in and reformatting and wiping clean the hard drive so that you can put back in everything that you want. Right? And upon salvation, that's what we have to do. God wipes our hard drive clean. And he reloads it with Holy Spirit 101. And we, we gain all of the knowledge we need to live for Christ. We rethink life. We become as little children all over again. And we need to be taught all of the principles of God. And that's where we are. We need to rethink. And when we, when we rethink life, don't carry... Listen... Don't carry all of your opinions into salvation with you. Uh, let God wipe you clean and start all over. Your system will run better. It'll be fast again. Huh? Yeah. We used to have an old computer here at the church, oh gosh, 30 years ago. I used to walk in in the morning, I'd turn it on. I'd go into the kitchen, I'd cook my breakfast and brew my coffee and eat and have, have all that. Walk in, it was still booting up. Take about 30 minutes for that old system to boot up. But nowadays, you got these systems that pew, almost instantly, almost before you turn the switch on, it's already on. Listen, let God, let God be your operating system. Rethink life. Transform your mind. Renew it into the, into the thoughts of God. Pray every day and ask God to instruct you and guide you throughout your day. Pray every morning and ask God to use you to glorify himself. And then go forth and walk in an awareness of, of the Spirit and allow God to take control. This transformation begins at our new birth and continues throughout our Christian life. We never learn it all. We never know it all. We're always growing in the grace of God. Now, with the time left this morning, let me share three thoughts with you concerning this matter of holiness. First, letter A, a disciple must possess holiness. A disciple must possess holiness. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. How many poor lost souls are wandering this world today, holding to a false hope given them by men that would deny the doctrines of perseverance and holiness, as evidences of salvation. I remember one Saturday morning, uh, on my bus route, I had a young lady and her, her children, and she was really burdened about her husband. She, she told me, she said, my husband is lost. Uh, I, I, I'm praying that God will save him. I really, I want you to come and witness to my husband. I said, I told her, I said, I'd be happy to do so. She said, but here's the thing, he's an alcoholic. And if you don't get him first thing in the morning, um, you won't get him at all. Because by, by lunchtime, he's drunk. And he'll be drunk all day long. I told her, I said, well, I'll tell you what. We, we meet on Saturday morning. I said, I'll, that meeting breaks up about 8 o'clock. I'll come straight over to your house, and I'll witness to your husband. She said, okay, I'll make sure he's, he's here. And, and, and so we went. We left here, and one of, one of the bus captains went with me, and we left here, and we went straight to that house. And she let me in, and I sat there, and I witnessed to him. And 
we were witness, I was witnessing to him. Now, now understand, this is a man who's a drunkard. He's an alcoholic. And so I, I, I felt it imperative that he understand that in order to be repentant, he was going to have to forsake his, his drinking. And I witnessed him, and I told him, I said, you know, the Lord loves you, and he will save you if you are willing to repent of the sin in your life and turn to him and, and receive him as your Savior. And he wouldn't do that. He said, I, I, I can't give up my drinking. I, I won't do that. And we left. And we got in my, my car and we left, and the man with me began to rail upon me. How dare you do that? How dare you deny that man's salvation, which I can't do anyway, because he won't give up his drinking. I asked him, I said, you mean to tell me you honestly think you could have led that man into a prayer knowing that he was going to go get drunk that afternoon? You see, this is the, this is the problem with denying the doctrine of perseverance. There are so many people out there with false hope in salvation because some soul winner convinced them they don't have to do anything to be saved. They don't have to forsake the sin in their life. They don't have to give up the evil in their life. They can be saved simply by accepting Jesus, as if they actually do that. They don't accept Christ. Christ accepts us. So, a disciple must possess holiness. Listen, I'm not afraid to prove my salvation by showing, uh, by striving to live in holiness. These that go about claiming to be saved, claiming to be disciples, yet they show no evidence of such by means of living in holiness, I would not give you a plug nickel for a profession such as that. In James chapter 2, we read, Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Now, I'm not saying today that my faith comes by my works. I'm saying my works come by my faith. You see, someone who claims to have faith but have, has no holiness, there's no evidence of salvation in their life. You see, the, the Neo-Baptists today argue you do not need works to have faith. But if you have no works, there is no evidence of your faith. In other words, they say, well, you, you, you may have faith, but there's no evidence of it. But you don't have to have, uh, you don't need works in order to have faith. And this position supports their denial of the doctrines of perseverance. Their doctrine implies it is not necessary for a believer to show forth fruits of repentance. But what did John say? John in the Jordan River said, show forth your fruits of repentance. Didn't he? They, don't need, they say you don't need to do that because his salvation is not based upon holiness. It is based upon his free will acceptance of Christ. But the true Baptist doctrine, the historical Baptists argue this. True repentance and faith produce works. If you are truly repentant, and you truly possess faith, faith, it will produce works in your life. In John chapter 15, we read, Ye have not chosen me, 
but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. Now that fruit there, again, is not talking about souls. It's talking about the attributes of your life, a fruitful life. Your fruit should remain, that, whosoever, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Therefore, if you have no works, you not only lack evidence of faith, you lack faith. Because faith produces works. And I know this is true because true faith compels us to serve God. And you know that too. True faith in Christ compels you to live for Christ. It compels you to serve him. It compels you to walk in righteousness. We cannot help but serve him. uh, Jesus said in John chapter 9 and verse 4, I must work the works of him that sent me. Jesus said, I must work. In other words, I have to work. And Christian, as you sit here this morning, if you are truly a child of God, then you know that in, you know in your heart you must live for Christ. You know that it's wrong to go out and live for the flesh. You know that it's wrong to go out and live a life uh, of, of sinful indulgence. You know this. And if you don't know this, if you, if you don't understand that, then you'd better search your heart because probably you're not saved. And I'm not trying to be judgmental, I'm just being factual. Because true faith and repentance produces works. I serve God today. I think I put this statement on your, on your study sheets. I serve God today not to gain favor with God. Rather, I serve God today because I already have favor with God. I don't, I don't do the things I do in order to, to get God to look down and smile. I do the things I do because I'm compelled to do them. Because God already looks down on me and smiles. Do you understand? We, are, we have the love of God and it is his love that constrains us. It is his love that compels us to serve him. It's not because we have to do it to, to gain favor. It's because we already have his favor. And so we do it out of love. So first, without holiness, one is not a disciple. Then, letter B, a disciple must be an example in holiness. First Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Paul here tells Timothy to be an example. He's to, he's to be an example to, to those in his church. He's to, he's to show his faith by his example. It's, it's, it's real easy to, to stand up and say, you know, it's an old adage uh, that, that parents use for their children, don't do as I do, do as I say. But the truth of the matter is, what you say should be what you do, amen? So as believers, we should be an example and we should live our life as an example to those around us. Not, not to promote ourselves, not to, not to vaunt ourselves above everyone else, but to be an example. To, to show forth how we should conduct ourselves, 
For God's glory, not for our own. Paul tells Timothy to be that example. So, uh, I want to share some thoughts with you here real quickly. We must be an example in all that we do. First, for our children's sake. You must be an example for your children's sake. Ephesians 6, 4. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Let me ask you a question. Who is the devil going after the most today? What's that? The the youth, right, the children. The devil is targeting our children. And if you don't stand up and fight for your children, who's going to win that battle? Satan. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. You stand up and fight for them, you still might not win. (laughs) That's, that's That's a sad reality. But if you don't stand up and fight for your children, if you fathers in this room, if you don't set an example for your children, you know what your sons need today? They need to see you loving your wife. They need to see you treat your wife like she's a queen. They need to see you adore her. They need to see you lift her up and care for her and provide for her. You mothers, you know what your daughters need today? They need to see you loving your husband. They need to see you submissive to him. They need to see you submitting yourself uh, to, 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 to him and to God and living your life in such a manner. To glorify God. Your children need to see that today. That's a desperate need. And we're to be an example in that for our children's sake. We're to be an example also for the brethren's sake. 1 Corinthians 8, 9. But take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. You know, there's always new people in our church. And these newer Christians often don't know all all the things they should do. You should be an example for them. That's why you should be in church. Be faithful. I've, I've, I've known, listen, I've known people that have invited people to church and the, the visitors come and they say, where's so-and-so? And I say, well, they're not here today. Oh. And, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to say that we should never miss church because I know things happen and I know situations come up. But we should be an example, right? We should strive to be an example in, 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 in holiness for the brethren's sake. Uh, and we should do it for the lost sake. Titus chapter 2. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works and doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech, uh, that, oh, I can't turn my page. Bear with me. That cannot uh, be condemned. That he that is of the contrary part, or the lost, may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Um, what do your neighbors think about you? Um, be an example to the lost, to, to the people at work. Be an example to the people at work. Do they, do they tell dirty jokes and you laugh? Uh-uh. And you even chime in with one of your own? I've seen this happen at work. Uh, you know, people, people uh, put pressure on you to conform. You know, there's nothing wrong with if your boss comes and asks you to do something that's not right. There's nothing wrong with saying, can I talk to you for a second? And then go in there and say, look, I, I, I can't do that. That's just not right. That's not right. I'm, I, I'm, not, de- I'm not being defiant. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to go against you. But I can't do that. I'm sorry. You'll have to find someone else to do it. And if that costs me my job, so be it. As Peter said, we ought to obey God rather than men. 
So we're to be examples in holiness. And that, that applies to all of us. But then, letter C in our study sheets, and I have to hurry, a disciple must promote holiness. Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Ephesians chapter 4. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Paul summed it up best in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He said, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead as is appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away, from, uh, turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. Yes, a disciple promotes holiness. We commit ourselves to it. We surrender ourselves to it. Now, again... All these things I talked about today. You, you don't have to do these. You, you may not do these and you may be a believer. But don't call yourself a disciple. Because a disciple is one that agrees with, adheres to, and furthers the doctrines of his teacher. So are we disciples of Christ today? Well, if we are, then we should be striving to conform to the image of Christ. All right, folks, that's all I have time for today. Thank you for being here, and you are dismissed. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Roanoke Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Roanoke Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.